Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. So take your Bible, and if you would, turn to the book of Acts, all right? Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's page 770. In fact, let's just do a little check here right now. If you brought your Bible, hold it up, all right? We'll see here. Come on, hold them way up. All right, because we're a Bible church, remember? And uh, if you didn't bring one, take that one out of the chair in front of you and use it. And if you don't have it, take it home, all right? Uh, We want to go to the Word of God every time we come. Well, today a new series, and I thought the way to start this series was to ask a question. All right? So listen to the question. And on your notes there, the the handout you have, there's a circle there and uh, right up here. This is where I want you to put your answer. Now, this is not a help your neighbor thing. This is your answer, okay? So this is this. You say, man, I'm nervous already. You can answer the question, all right? So here's the question I'm going to ask, and you just write your answer right here, and we'll see how you do. And I think it's an important question for our church to make sure we're focused. If you're new, which many of you are in the last... uh, well, we've been here now, eight weeks, something like that. I don't know how long we've been here in the new building, but a lot of new folks have come, and we welcome you. But now it's time to kind of take a little test, see what we're doing here. So here's the question. Write down the answer. The question is, what is the, in, in, can't say today. What is the essential ingredient you look for in a church? When you're out church shopping or you're in a church, What's the essential thing that you say, this is, has to be in this church? All right? Write your answer down. You know, it could be a variety of things for some of you. It could be good coffee. You know, close location. You know, certain program. But what is it that this has to be for you? Essential. You know, you have essential ingredient, ingredients in a cake mix, medicine. So what's essential for you when it comes to church? It has to be there. Write your answer down. Everybody doing it? All right. Simple. Now, I want you to hold on to that because at the end, you notice there's another circle down at the bottom. We're going to fill that circle in according to what we say because, you see, that's this essential ingredient of Sherman Bible. So if you're new, you'll see if you're in the right spot. And you'll have to do one or two things, either adjust or say, whoa, <laughs> coffee was good but I guess I missed you know must not be what I'm looking for here we'll find out how's that on our journey okay we're starting the book of Acts and here's how it goes this book to give you the cliff notes as quickly as I can um, it's divided into two parts and we're going to call it act one and act two how's that the first two chapters are act one first 12 chapters chapter 13 begins act two all right? There's a cast of players in this. If we run the credits at the end of the story, they'd be many. Of course, the two stars would be Peter in the first 12 chapters is kind of the leading player. And the second part, Act 2, when we get to that later on in the year, that would be Paul. But around them was a whole cast of supporting actors. Some we don't even get their names mentioned. Some of their names are mentioned. Women, men, uh, young men, all kinds of folks are mentioned as this credits roll out of this story that we're going to follow in the book of Acts, all right? Now, as we follow the story, we're going to find out how important that is to us today, 
Everybody with me? Let's start in verse 1, see how far we get today. It says, in the former book, Theophilus, he says, in the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. All right? So let's kind of get the stage set. Let me go to the end of Act 1. You want to do that? You want to see how this thing's going to end? The end of, this, of Act 1 is in the 11th and 12th chapter. Geographically, it ends in a place called Antioch. So if you look at the map, you'll kind of get it. This could be a map in the back of your Bible probably, something very similar. But if you look up there at the top arrow, there's Antioch north of Jerusalem, about 500 miles. Well, this is where Act 1 is going to end. And it's going to be very important that you catch the end of Act 1 because there's something comes up. It says this, and at Antioch... They called them Christians first. That was the first time the word Christian was used in a place called Antioch, 500 miles north. Our story begins today, though, south, 500 miles, in a place called Jerusalem, the capital of, of Judaism. It's where the temple was, where worship took place. It's where the early church starts, right there. That's where the beginning of the church started, in Jerusalem. But... Twelve chapters later, we end up in Antioch, and it kind of ends Act 1. All right? Now, that term Christian, you got to know when it's used for the first time, it was not a complimentary word. It was a derogatory word. It's only used three times in the whole New Testament. We use it a lot in America and around the world, Christians. Uh, but then... When it says they called them Christians, little Christ, out of the Latin, it means uh, of the same party. They were the same party of Christ. But it wasn't a positive term. It was a term of distaste. Of distaste. They didn't like them. They made fun of them. The outside culture of this Christ-following group. 2,000 years later, it's kind of coming back around, isn't it? It's not real tasteful anymore, is it? We've been told now that we're not a Christian nation anymore. Sometimes they say it wasn't a Christian nation in the beginning. I'm sure not everybody followed Christ, but our leaders, many of them were Christ followers, and you can't deny that when you read their writings. And we kind of got to be known as that, but now we're saying they're not a Christian nation any longer. And we're getting more you know, push to the edge, marginal values, etc. in a secular society, aren't we? I don't mind being called a Christian, Christ follower, if we could be called because of the same reason they were called in Antioch. All right? And we'll find out why they were called Christians in Antioch at the end of the story. We're going to build the whole story towards that. You ready? So, verse 1, here it is. The writer has to be Luke. You say, how do you know that? Because we connect it to the former book he talks about. He says, Theophilus, I wrote a former book. Well, who's Theophilus? Theophilus, the word means Theo, means God. Theophilus means a lover of God. So whoever Theophilus is, he must have some bent towards God. We're not, we don't know a lot about him. We know he's a Roman. But we don't know exactly what he's a full believer coming to faith. 
But Luke writes to him the book. You say, how do you know it's Luke? Because his name's not mentioned here. But if you go to chapter one of Luke, which you will in your Bible study this week, if you follow our reading guide, you'll see that he starts off in Luke one saying the same thing. He writes to a guy named Theophilus. And we all come to find out, scholars agree that Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and that he also wrote the book of Luke. But if you read on there, it kind of gets the details of his writing of this book, which gives us great strength in the book because you see the setting of this gives us strength that this book can be trusted for its accuracy because why in chapter one of Luke, he says, you know, we've heard the story of Christ and then he goes on in chapter one of Luke in those first four verses and I have personally investigated it because you see Luke was a physician, a doctor, medical doctor. Accuracy was important to him. Details were important to him. He was well-educated, high intellect, great use of the Greek language in his writing. And so with all that put together, he said, Theophilus, I want you to know I have done the research on the life of Christ. Now, the book of Acts is not just doing the research and investigating. He's actually living this out. He's recording it. Much of it happens in front of him. In fact, later on, we're going to find out that he changes to the first person. He says, we. He includes himself. We were doing this. We were doing that. And so Luke is writing in Acts, recording. But here's the, the connection. In Luke, notice what he says. When I wrote you the first time, notice, he says, I wrote you about all that Jesus began to do. Chapter 1, verse 1 of Acts. The word began, the way it is written, is a word of continuance. It started with Jesus, but it continues on. That's the feeling of the right. It just didn't stop with Jesus. It began there, his work, but it's continuing on. Where? In the book of Acts. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles. really more than the Acts of the Apostles. It's the, it's the Acts of the church. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. And so he says, he wrote these things. Where it began with Jesus, but really began before Jesus. Really, if you stop and think about it. It began before the foundations of the earth. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, it says, before the foundations of the earth, God had planned this story. The story of what? That we'd be redeemed not by silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. So the story really began before man ever got on earth. When man finally got on earth and messed up in the early chapters of Genesis, Jesus, the word of God says this. God looked at the serpent. He said, I'm going to crush your head, and there's going to be someone born of a woman who's going to take care of this problem, and predicting that Jesus would come prophesy then the whole old testament you know pictures and talks and its sacrifices and all of its words towards this one that would come the one comes jesus comes and he, be, and he takes the story now and brings it to life and now in the books of acts the story continues and guess what it continues today in sherman texas because we're still part of this story if you're a christ follower you're going to be in the story when the movie's over in eternity and they're running the credits hopefully your name's there that you are one of the actors you're one of the ones carrying out this story because God invites you into the story if you're his follower. So that's the setting. It's Luke writing to a guy named Theophilus. Accurate story of Jesus by investigation. That's the strength of the book. The confidence of these believers in this first century, I mean, it was huge. Why? Because these guys are going to be called on to be martyrs, some of them. Some are going to be beaten. Some are going to be stoned. Some are going to be shipwrecked. Some will actually die. So what would give them the confidence of that? The resurrection. Keep reading. Go back to the first chapter here in Acts and notice what he says. He says this, verse 3. After his suffering, that's the crucifixion, 
He showed himself to, the, to these men and gave many, notice this, convincing proofs that he was alive. Because if he was not alive, they're dead in the water. If Jesus wasn't alive, we're, we've wasted a lot of time and money, haven't we? In our lives, we who followed him. He was that convincing proof that he was alive. Well, how did he do it? Go on. He appeared to them. Over a period of 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, he was eating with them. Wasn't the only occasion, but on one occasion, he was eating with them, and he gave them these commands. And we'll come to the commands in a minute. So what was the proof of the resurrection? And why is it important you to understand some things about truth? Because truth comes through a couple different veins, what we call subjective truth and objective truth. Subjective and objective. You say, what's the difference? Subjective truth is really how I started coming to Christ and put my faith in him. You say, how'd that happen? Well, back when I was 12 years old, junior high, my mother's fallen down drunk, married five times. You know the stories better as I do. And that was what? She came to Christ in March, 1959. She came home from church that day, cleared out the refrigerator, threw every bottle of beer, every, every bottle hidden all over the house of whiskey, threw it out in the garbage, and all of a sudden, I'm standing there, a 12-year-old watching this. All of a sudden, she looked at me, and the first time in my life, she said, Denny, I love you. I've never heard that before. And I said, whoa, something's happened. I watched that for a couple weeks. Her life totally changed. The result of that, I said, man, I'm buying into this too. I put my trust in Christ based upon a subjective truth, okay? My dad comes home, you know, a few months later, and been there for 10 years he sees the story of her life he trusts Christ and now two people who hated each other been divorced for 10 years I mean all of a sudden they're living together in harmony get married and they live for Jesus the rest of their life so my whole life and faith starts with what we call subjective truth say what's subjective truth experiential truth is what it is you look at it and say it happened to me it's real it's truth for me what did Jesus change your life that's called subjective truth that's part of your coming to Christ for some of you Later on, it became objective truth. You say, what's the difference? Is that as I went on to college and seminary and started to look at the factual record, the historical record, and started to realize that this story of Jesus is not just something I've experienced. I mean, it can be validated, the story of Jesus. Now my faith became objective. So in all of your lives, most likely, your faith comes subjective and objective to come to truth. In these disciples who had so much confidence... Because what? They had subjective, they felt something, they, you know, they experienced something, but now it's totally objective. Why? Because the resurrection was right in front of them. Four ways they went through the resurrection that was established in their life. Number one, Jesus appeared to them. They actually saw him with their own eyes. They, it says it right there, he appeared. Number two, it wasn't just a one-time thing like, wow, did we have something to smoke that night? It was kind of weird. No, he actually appeared for 40 days. So there's a time proof of objectivity in their life. Wow, it's not just once. He's in and out. He's talking to. Third, there was an audible. They heard him with their ears. He spoke to them on more than one occasion for the next 40 days. And not only that, there was a physical truth because they ate with him and you don't eat with a ghost, right? I mean, he was digesting food. Not only that, he looked at Thomas that one time. He said, Thomas, you doubting? Touch it right here, man. Touch it. It's flesh. You see the hole. You see it here. Why? 
physical truth. You put that together, now they have objective truth. They're not just subjective, but now this is truth. And that's why they were willing to put their lives at stake because the confidence built around the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses three through eight. You'll read, Peter, Paul comes along, says the same thing. He says, for one occasion, over 500 people saw him at one time. He was in and out for 40 days. He was eating with them, Paul says. And not only that, he appeared to James. Who was James? Jesus' brother, half-brother, of course. But it was his brother. And James hadn't believed in Jesus in his whole ministry. And while Jesus was having ministry on earth, he rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But when Jesus appeared to him, whoa, he said, I guess he wasn't, you know, all talk. This is the real thing. He's alive. And James became a believer and eventually a leader in the church, all right? So the resurrection was so powerful in those first few verses, all right? So that's the setup now, and notice what goes on here. He says, on one occasion, during this time of these 40 days, Jesus was eating with him. He looked around, and he gave him a command. Here's the first command he gave him. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but what? What's it say? Everybody with me? But wait. First command, Wait. Why? Because we're getting ready to give you a second command, and you're going to really need the waiting to be ready for the second command. Why are we going to wait? Notice what he says. Because you wait for the gift of the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For when John was here, he baptized with water. He baptized with an outward symbol of your faith. We experienced that two weeks ago, 20-something people we saw baptized out here in our, in our, uh, in our lobby. That's an outward symbol of faith. But he says, listen, now there's going to be something a little different. And I've been telling you about it. I told you when I was with you that I'm with you, but now I'm going to be in you. He says, here's the deal. Jesus says to him, he says, but in a few days, while you're waiting, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ooh, what's... Now, we're not going to do this one today. We're going to do the Holy Spirit thing next week, all right? Can't throw too much at it once. But he said, you're going to be baptized. And the reason you're going to need to be baptized, because I'm going to tell you in a couple of verses from now, that you're going to have to go into the whole world. And this thing is going to be so huge and so big. My second command, you're going to look at me and say, we can't do it. Yeah, you can't. That's why you've got to have the Holy Spirit, because it's way beyond your ability and your imagination, what I'm getting ready to say. So he gives them the first command to wait. We'll pick that up next week. Look at the next verse, verse 6. So when they met together... These disciples, they asked, Lord, are you, at the, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this time? I mean, you've suffered, you've risen, you've done all your stuff. Now we're ready, aren't we? We're ready for the kingdom to be restored. Which tells us a couple things about him. One, always didn't quite get it. You know, even though he says, my kingdom is not of this world, his kingdom. Oh, yeah, there is coming. But it wasn't a bad question, was it? You know why? Because this had been promised throughout the scriptures that his kingdom would be, his throne of David would be restored. So it wasn't like it was just a question out of nowhere. They're just wondering, is this the time? But really what they're below that were asking, are our lives going to get better now? Are we really going to get better? I mean, now that you've done all this, now that we're falling, aren't things going to get better? I mean, you know, we're going to have the kingdom back. Our lives are going to get more enjoyable. Everything's going to be nice. Isn't that what's going to happen, Jesus? Isn't that the question that many, quote, Christ followers ask? <laughs> now that I'm following you, Jesus, isn't it going to get better? I mean, aren't I going to get to raise? 
you know, aren't things going to get better? I mean, that's what people's expectation of, of faith. But the truth is what? It might not get better. You might not get the raise. You might get fired. You might not get well. You might go into a long period of sickness. Your kid might not come home. On and on it goes because Jesus never said it's going to get better. He just said, we've got a job to do. Notice he never answered the question directly, did he? Notice the next verse. He says, hey, listen, the times, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that our Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. And the word power there, if you want to write a note, it means divine enablement. You will receive this enablement to do what I'm getting ready to tell you secondly. You will receive a divine enablement, this power, he says, that will come to you when, what? When the Holy Spirit comes uh, in on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, commandment number two, world evangelism. We're gonna make disciples. He has said that. This is his recording in Acts. But he's been saying this in the other two. In Matthew, he said it like this. Go forth and make disciples. All authority and power has been given to me. I'm giving it to you. Go make disciples to all the world. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says it there. He says, listen, go proclaim this throughout the world. In Luke chapter 24, he says it again. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Preach it to all nations. And John, he says it like this. He says, so I've come, I'm sending you. And now in Luke, I mean, in Acts, Luke says it again. And really some say that Acts 1.8 is the key to the entire book of Acts. I kind of lean that way a lot. And that is what? Not only it ties with the other, the commission he's been giving through the other writers, but it's also the outline of the book. Because this is how our story is going to unfold. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to spread to Judea, a little big area. And then it's going to go into Samaria. And we don't like Samaria, none of us. Because Samaria, they don't talk like we talk. In Samaria, they're a different caliber than we are. In Samaria, they got their own peoples. It ain't going to fit with our peoples. And we're not, most of us aren't too comfortable in Samaria. But he said, that's where you're going next. And that's how you're developing this thing. And then, you know what? After that, we're going to the end of the world. That's world evangelism. And he said, you know what? He says, that's the second command here. Don't get too nervous because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at next week. And he's going to enable you to do this. Now, here it is. Let me show you this critical mission of the church. Okay? That's what he's saying. This is what the church is about, world evangelism. How many of you ever had a babysitter come to your house? Watch your kids. Come on. How many of you ever been a babysitter? Yeah? I think we've all done some of that. Imagine this. You get a babysitter for the night, and you and your spouse are going to go out and have a little date, dinner, Gets there, tell a little gal or guy, whoever he's going to be, say, look, we're going to be gone about 10.30 and watch the kids. Fine. 
You get home at 10.30, you open the door, and you take a breath, and whoa, smells like fresh baked cookies. You notice as you walk through the living room, everything's just totally vacuumed. Everything's in place, been dusted. You walk in the kitchen, there the cookies are sitting on the kitchen counter. Boy, do they smell good. Still warm. Look at the floor, been waxed and shined and mopped. Dishes have been put in place. You're sitting there, you walk in the washroom, all the laundry's been done that was piled on the floor when you left. Walk back, hallways, beds are made. And you think, wow, this is incredible. What a babysitter. You walk by the kids' room to open the door, and they're not there. No kids. Come back, and they say to you, hey, the house is incredible. The kids aren't in the room. Where are the kids? I don't know. You know, after you left, they wanted to go out and play, and I said, yeah, go ahead, and I started getting busy here. Finally, about 8 o'clock, I went out there and stood on the porch and yelled for them. They didn't come. I don't know. I, you know, I just finally got the cookies baked. But, you know, everything, I, I'm not sure where the kids are. What would you think? Did she miss the critical mission? Huh? I mean, the cookies, the living room, the kitchen, that's all nice, but that's not why I'm paying. I'm paying you to watch my kids, and my kids aren't here. You missed it. You failed it. You missed the mission. Government? This is one man's opinion. I'll try to watch it. But what's the federal government supposed to do? Now, don't, hey, I don't, stay with me here. I mean, you know, they do a lot of things. Education, you know, help us with that, help us with roads, and, and on it goes and, and goes and goes. But uh, here's the deal. In my opinion, as one sage of Sherman, Texas, the biggest job is to take, protect the people. Make sure we're safe. Because you see, we have the nicest roads in the world and have the best colleges, universities, and everything else, but if the enemy comes and attacks us, kills half of us, those roads aren't going to do a lot of good, are they? So me, my primary thing is that that's... Just showing you a couple ideas here. The church. What's the critical mission? Good coffee? Whoa! Jesus! Look at that kid's room. Have you seen the kid's room when Jesus comes back to check on us? That, uh, we got the biggest slide in northern Texas right out there. Dude, Jesus, if you're in our youth, that, it rocks. I mean, lights coming on. And in here, we got everything. We got bridges. We got it all, Jesus. And we're even get out of the community a little. I mean, we've got out. We've helped some people, fixed some houses. We're going out to different places. We've gotten food going now, Jesus. And Jesus, nice. Did anybody get evangelized? Did anybody become a disciple? Or were you so busy over here, you forgot why you did those things? Nice to vacuum the carpet. Nice to bake the cookies. But if you lose the kids, you have really screwed up. Nice to do all those things. But if we don't evangelize, we've screwed up. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. That's a sense of being. He didn't say you'll talk about witnessing or you'll say you're witness. That's part of it, possibly. But you're being a witness. 
Tomorrow, when you go to the office, I'm going to be a witness. When I go to the school and I, and I play football, basketball, whatever I do, when I go to my neighbors and have coffee and I help, I'm a witness. I'm being, it's a sense of being that Jesus consumes me so much that it just kind of comes out about why I'm here. That's my critical mission is Jesus. Do you get it? I don't think he's going to be too impressed when he sees our building. He's already seen it, of course, if you didn't know that. That's not the big deal. He's going to ask Sherman Bible, did you do the critical mission? Did you go over next door to that lost neighbor and be a witness to him? That's the issue. Now, that's the command. World evangelism. He tells you how to do it. We're doing it all. Judea. Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. Nine and ten. Here's the team that's getting ready to be deployed. All right, nine. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight in verse 10. And they were looking intently up. I mean, they're just sitting there gazing, this starstruck, looking up. He says, into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee. And they said, and he said to them, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. They're standing there just staring. Whoa. Wow. And two men in white supposedly angels, come up to him. It could have been the same two guys in white 40 days ago. Remember that one? Two men in white while they were standing in the tomb looking, dude, he's gone. Something, isn't it? You're not here. Two angels come up and say, what are you doing? He's not there. Connect the dots. Go out and tell everybody. He's gone. He's risen. Now, 40 days later, they're standing up instead of looking in the tomb, they're standing up looking in the sky, and they say, what are you doing here? Men of Galilee. Now, let me tell you something. Men of Galilee, that little term, I want to tell you right up front, that is not a great term. We don't understand that, but if you're back there in the culture, you understand that Galilee is not the place you want to be from. Okay, it's kind of like backwood term. Like you'd say, well, you're from, well, where is that? I won't say that. <laughs> you're from the other side. You know, it's not a complimentary term, men of Galilee. Those were the, the, the lower salon. It was not some, you know, the people you'd make fun of. And that's who Jesus chose. That was the deployment team. Most of them came from Galilee. Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes. You know, that was the crew. He said, guess what? You get to be the witnesses. You get through, through, through my power to take this critical mission all over the world. And that should give every one of us hope, shouldn't it? <laughs> if he could do it with a prostitute, Mary Magdalene, if he can do it with Peter, a crazy fisherman, all, he might be able to do it with me. True. But that's the critical mission. Now, not everybody in here is a football fan, I'm sure. But few of us like football. But if you don't, you kind of get this picture. I don't know what you think is the most exciting play in a game of football. But Tommy, you know what I really like? I like the first play from scrimmage after the kickoff. 
I mean, at the very front of the game, because all the intensity is up there. Wow, all right. And the team huddles up, and they get around, you know, and you say, oh, man, the first play, they're going to, and the quarterback goes in, he looks at the guy, says, all right, well, you're not doing it. okay, ready, ready, break. And they break. Imagine this. They call the huddle, first play, Tommy. Break. And all the team, they run over on the sideline. The referee looks like, Are these guys idiots. He doesn't know what to do. He looks at his watch, the, the, you know, the, the, the clock runs down, the play clock. He doesn't know what else to do. He blows his whistle, throws a yellow flag, delay a game, moves him back 10 yards. You guys get back out here in the field. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They come back, huddle up. Quarterback says, all right, guys, this is it. Calls the play. All right, you got it. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Oh, yeah, we're excited. Okay, ready? Break. Off they go, sideline. They're all watching. Referee stunned again. Pulls out the flag, throws it down, blows the whistle. Ten more yards. You know, here we go. Delay again. Hey, oh, yeah. Huddle again. You got it. They do this four down. Next thing you know, they're 40 yards back. They're about ready. I mean, they're in deep trouble. Going the wrong direction. Every Sunday, we huddle up. Quarterback gets up here. <laughs> All right, man. You ready? Yeah. Ooh, you got it? Oh, man, do we get it? The band's playing. Cheerleaders are cheering. We got the best uniforms. We're rattling. Yeah, you got it. All right, break. Go. And the church goes to the sideline. And we never play the game. But boy, we're good in the huddle, aren't we? This is, I mean, it's a great huddle every Sunday, isn't it? Great. I mean, the band's playing. Got good equipment. I mean, whew, lights, everything. Ooh. Quarterback tells us to play. Everybody agrees, claps hands, and we go to the sideline. That's the church in the modern day times we live in. That's why today, 13 churches a day in America shut their doors, never open again, because they're so deep back in delaying the game. They've lost it in the community. They've lost the next generation. And the game's called on them. And God does that. If you're not going to play the game, you might as well send you to showers. 5,000 churches in America close their doors every year because they're delaying the game. Remember, that never be said about us. Please, God, let's not huddle and go to the sidelines. Today we huddle, nothing wrong with the huddle. But you don't go to the sidelines. You've got to go to the neighbor, to your school, to your office. Well, so here it is. What did you put in your circle? This will help you know whether you find the right church. Now, I'm not chasing you off, really. But here it is. That's what should be in the circle. The one ingredient... The one essential thing that you should look for a church is not how great their youth program is, not how great their children's program, not how great the band is. One thing you've got to ask, a critical question, a critical mission is, are they doing world evangelism? Is that what this church is about? Mission, making disciples, and God help us to stay on that track. That's what we're supposed to be about. Last Monday, a week ago, tomorrow, Denny, my son, 
we talked on the phone. We talked regularly and usually on Mondays to kind of check out what happened. I said, how'd it go, Denny? He said, oh, yeah, for down here at UT. He said, man, it was great. He said, normally we have a, you know, everybody leaves, but man, we filled it up. I said, it's great. And how'd it go up there? I said, that was okay. We built a little bridge and it was fine. I said, yeah, we had a great weekend. He said, but Dad, I want to tell you, better than Sunday was Friday. He said, it was really a good Friday for me. I said, what happened? He said, well, you know the Wagga Bag store down there? I said, yeah. My son lives, if you know Austin, he lives up in Steiner Ranch over by Lake Travis. And down in that part of the country and all those little places, they have a thing called Wagga Bag. It's a convenience store, okay? And every morning, it's his tradition, because 30 minutes drive down to UT, he stops at Wagga Bag, gets a cup of coffee for his commute down there. And Tracy has been working there two years. A little gal behind the check, checkout. So when he walked in Friday morning, Tracy said, Denny, he said, yeah, I said, is this Bridget and Tripp coming in this afternoon? Because they always come in every afternoon and say hi to her and get a little Coke. I said, yeah, they'll probably will. I said, good. Says, I said, I hope they do because today's my last day. Denny said, no. He said, what, what's the deal? He says, says, well, I, I won't be working here after today. I said, well, why? He says, you know, I'm a single mother. She has three kids. She said, but my car broke down. I don't have any money to pay it. And I've been doing the best I can to get here this week. I've walked part of the way. I've got a few friends drop me off. And she says, I just, uh, I can't get here. And I'm going to lose, you know, I can't get the job. And then he said, wow, I'm sorry. I'll make sure they come by. Gets in his car, starts driving, gets about 10 minutes away. And he just stops. And this is not right. This is not right. Gets on his cell phone, makes a couple calls, calls another friend or two of people in Steiner Ranch, a couple pastors, calls his church. He says, look, guys, this is not right. She's part of what's going on in our Steiner Ranch community. And he says, I'll put the first 500 bucks up. What are you guys going to do? Two o'clock in the afternoon, he drives back in a wagon bag because Tracy's getting off work at 2.30 because she's been there since early in the morning. He said, Tracy, can I see you? And she's standing behind you. Counter, she says, well, I got to finish. I said, well, let me tell you something. And there's three or four customers and a couple other employees. She says, tomorrow we're bringing you a Volvo station wagon. She says, some of us got together. We bought you a car because you got to be to work here. She starts crying right there. Trying to check out. <laughs> he, did he did that for me. He said, yeah. And then he said, but I want to tell you something else. He says, Tracy, the reason we did that, my friends and some people in our church had nothing to do that we're really nice people, we're good people, we all live around here. He says, we did it because we're Christ followers. That's our common bond. And we just knew that that's what Jesus would want us to do. Just to make sure you had a job and your kids would have food because Jesus wanted us to do that. Now she's really crying. She's trying to check out people. Everybody's silent in the store watching this. She's crying. Other, other employees are crying. Denny's crying. She says, Jesus did that for me. Says, Jesus did that for you through us. She said, I know you've talked about him. I want to know him. You want to know him? Right here. In Wagabag. In front of two other employees and about three customers. They all kneeled down. And she asked Jesus in her heart. She got a car, but she got Jesus. That's far more important than a car. After the prayer, Dane's wiping the tears. She's wiping tears. She says, wow, you can be work Monday? She says, I don't know. I've already resigned. She says, I don't know if my boss will bring me back. So where's your boss? He says, in the back room. He says, bring him out here. 
He says, hey, we got our car. She can be worth money. He says, well, I'm too late. He says, I've already got someone to replace it. That's not right. He said, that can't be. This gal is part of our community. You've got to keep her. He says, well, I can't do that. I've already got it. He said, Denny, I said, you have to. He said, well, what can I do? He said, Denny, what can we do about it? And he said, I don't know. It's a corporate deal. Now you have to call corporate. Denny said, what's the phone number? I'll call corporate. Well, before you know it, 10 minutes later, she's back to work next Monday. And she was at work Monday. You know why? Because they understood to be a witness. Not clapped her hands on Sunday. That's a great thought. But they understood. We've got to go to the sidelines on Friday and Monday and Tuesday. And we've got to play this game for the purpose of Tracy coming to Jesus. And that's how the church works. If that is burning in your heart, you're in the right church. Children's ministry, nice. Good coffee, nice. Cool lights, yeah. Cool pastor, yeah. But what should burn in your heart is that we're about the critical mission, the story that began with Jesus and continues with us. Let's pray. Father, as we begin our story, this first act that really began before earth ever began, and we get to play it out, help us to find our place. Help us as believers to see that we're a continuum of this story. And around us today, there's a lot of Tracys. Whether it's next door, at the high school, junior high, and our offices, they're all around. May we be witnesses and fulfill the critical mission. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, feel free to visit our website at shermanbible.com or call anytime during our office hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. at 903-893-7795.